0: Welcome back to this week's episode. This is your ghost of a host with the most, Shanna.
1: It's your co ghost.
0: That's going to be a thing now.
1: Or ghost.
0: Ghost. I like co ghost better. <laughs> ghost just sounds like we don't know how to spell it. So we're pronouncing it so we know how to spell it. What's your name? PJ. That's correct. Hello, everyone. Welcome back That's to a That's correct. Week. Is that a quiz? <laughs> yep. <laughs> just Good Making
1: work. sure that the amnesia hasn't kicked in again. Gold star. <laughs>
0: You will call yourself PJ Rose. <laughs> I want to thank everybody for being here this week and for putting your name in for the running for our giveaway. Just want to remind you that uh this is our last week for it. The drawing we're gonna draw on Thanksgiving. So we'll announce the winner during next week's podcast. So with that being said, PJ and I are going to be on the Full Send Rejects podcast this week. We are invited, to, as I mentioned, to their podcast for Historical Overview of Southeastern PA. It's for their mini series they're doing on uh, current missing persons. So the cool thing about it is I go over Hawk Mountain again, which is where the Schombacher's Inn Tavern was, where the guy, our first ever serial uh, murderer, serial killer serial murderer killer
1: how you gonna call yeah. it um, the typical term is serial killer
0: may have <laughs> the, uh, come from we go over Native American massacres we also go over colonial settler massacres and ghosts and hauntings and more so Anthony also gives a little taste of um, his own haunting so uh, be sure to listen in to their episode and their their uh, up their future episodes, I guess, because mm-hmm. I'm not sure how many. Episodes. Yeah, I'm not sure how many they're going to have for their miniseries. But our episode is all the background in the area for the historical backdrop to explain why there possibly could be this very long string yeah. of missing persons currently. So yeah, a f-
1: l- little bit of backstory of what it is is that on one trail on one mountain there have been like eight or nine disappearances. And so they
0: make a straight line.
1: Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of like the basis of where this episode originated and
0: everything. Yeah, it all comes off of Sharp Mountain. Other side of the mountain range is where Hawk Mountain is, so they're all connected. Um, So I actually created this episode as a connection then to the Full Send Rejects because I would like to have a longer iteration of that little snippet I gave in the podcast of a massacre that happened called the Massacre of the Conestoga Tribe. Mm -hmm. I horrified Anthony and rose yeah. and billy with it, it
1: was, it's a story yeah,
0: it's gruesome and terrifying and it paints a very different picture of pennsylvania in its earliest days um it's kind of similar to what you see in the wild wild west you know we watch yeah like what deadwood is that what's called yeah i've only seen snippets of that show too but like what you see in those shows is literally what pennsylvania was in the 1600s into the early 1700s kind of crazy to think about but again, if you want to see how this connects to the missing persons today, I really, really suggest that my listeners tune in to the full Send Rejects podcast. They're on Spotify. Mm-hmm. And so their episode this week is PJME on there. And then again, I'm sure they'll have at least one where they go over the missing persons. And I believe Anthony said they're going to have people talking to them that are related to the current missing yeah, persons. Yeah,
1: relatives of the missing people.
0: So it's a, it's crazy to have that connection, but also to see like, something that's currently happening. So this week, we are going to do the massacre of a whole Native American nation, the Susquehannocks, also called the Conestoga, also called the Minquas, also (laughs) 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 everything else. Um, My references for this week are the following. First off, the Conestoga Susquehannock tribe website, because the ancestors of this tribe created their own website, which is kind of cool. Also, Lancaster Online the Pennsylvania Center for the Book, Susquehanna National Heritage Area, Susquehanna River Basin Commission, Uncharted, Lancaster, and, of course, Wikipedia.
1: <laughs> gotta have Wikipedia. Uh,
0: I was on Encyclopedia Britannica for a hot second because I used some stuff of that for our podcast episode with Full Sun Rejects, mm-hmm. but I decided I didn't really need it for my script. Oh. Because it came out of my brain well, space. Well. I know. Well, we're not doing a big deep dive in the school cool area or Pottsville, which is what I got off of Britannica. Mm-hmm. We're just focused on the Susquehannock. Mm-hmm. So anything you want to say before we dive right in, PJ? I drank um a Celsius. So I'm like full of caffeine. I'm ready to go.
1: My references are the script that you shared <laughs> with me.
0: <laughs> so Shanna Hayden.
1: And my talk on Thursday with the full sand rejects.
0: My first hand account. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little bit of and, a storing myself.
1: And spending past seven hours or so tied to a three-year-old.
0: That <laughs> doesn't count, but... <laughs> oh, do you feel like you're being threatened?
1: <laughs> no, no, you said you're full of energy. I'm
0: not, I'm not there. <laughs> I wasn't, but the Celsius is kicking Ooh. and I'm feeling the caffeine right now. I'm like shaking. I'm ready to go. <laughs> All right. So a little background, PJ, into who the Susquehannock are. Who are they? Well... They don't exist anymore. They were, were they? Native Americans. Wow, well, this
1: is sad
0: already. <laughs> as I mentioned on Fulton Rejects, it's going to get worse. <laughs> anyway, so Susquehannock were also known as the Conestoga, the Minquas, and the Andaste. They were an Iroquoian people, and they lived in the lower Susquehanna River watershed in what is now Pennsylvania. Their name from the um, settlers, technically, means people of the Muddy River. So. Which
1: still describes Susquehanna <laughs> today. Yeah.
0: The Susquehanna River is 444 miles long, if you didn't know. And, of course, it's named after this tribe. But in their language, they were called the Conestoga. And to them, that means people of the upright ridge pole. Never. nothing
1: about river at all.
0: No, <laughs> well, and there's a reason for that. Um, but it referred to their building practices because they're the ones who created longhouses. Ah, uh, yes, you know, of we course. learn all about those and um, elementary school and mm-hmm. all that. I'm not sure if that's a thing in other parts of the United States. Longhouses Jackie, were
1: us. around, yeah, but like the, the well, I, I there, remember they have, like play and stuff. So. I remember this um, particular tribe, um, they Believed in finders keepers I remember this very clearly from of from our history classes where if you because in a long house it's just like literally a long house that everyone slept in so if you saw like a hatchet or a knife that so and so had down at the other end of the house if you could get it when they're not looking it was yours
0: <laughs> I love it <laughs> so they must be part of your ancestry tricksters to the core wonderful <laughs> Um, So we call them the Susquehanna. Well, I shouldn't say we, but the the settlers called them Susquehanna because of where they live. But they did originally live up more north because the Iroquois, of course, we're talking the Onida tribes and stuff. They came from New York. Um, But they did end up moving to southern PA. It's most likely because they wanted to control the fur trade. The Susquehannock were really well-known fur trappers. Mm Mm-hmm. So um, they quickly trapped out the Susquehanna Valley area, though, because they caught all them animals and cut off all their furs, obviously. Suddenly they became the middleman. I kind of feel like they're the mafia <laughs> for the fur trade. Um, but they actually controlled all the native groups in uh, New York, Ohio and Canada. Um, which caused some tensions between them and their tribes, which is why there were a lot of Indian wars happening throughout the 17th century. Um, There's a lot of money to be made in it, of course, because Mm -hmm. we know that a lot of these furs were shipped back to Europe because they were very much in demand. You see that kind of comment a whole bunch, even in the Pocahontas movie, when you have like bears and stuff going back or bear baiting, but also they're all wearing this fancy mink furs and whatnot, looking all good. Beaver was really fancy to wear. So anyway, they were known for that. Now, they were actually first described by John Smith, though, to go back to Pocahontas legend. So again, we don't like the Disney movie because it's wrong. <laughs> but,
1: uh, John Smith. I don't want to
0: talk about him. But anyway, he did hop on the Chesapeake Bay and he rode it all up. So in 1608, he actually came across the Susquehannocks and he described them, quote, as great and well-proportioned men who, quote, seemed like giants to the English Huh? So the big old boys. Dang. Yeah. Well. Usually
1: it's the other way around. Usually like, you know, the um, colonizers of wherever they came from, they were usually like larger than the indigenous See, people from when I like.
0: I don't, I don't know because you're looking at these guys who some of the people who signed up to be on these ships were like originally in jail and stuff. So they had terrible nutrition, mm. you know. <laughs> But Yeah, the, the
1: trip across the sea probably didn't help either. Because well, like
0: we're talking, it's England. And I whenever I do my presentation on John Smith's My 11th Graders, I always say the movie got him wrong because he was the shortest, skinniest, darkish red, brown haired guy you'll ever meet. Like he was hideous and tiny, not blonde haired and big chested and tall yeah, yeah. You know, like in the movie. Um, but in any case, based on archaeological evidence, they were no taller than an average modern day American today. But we're okay. talking this was hundreds of years ago. So 1600s, they were definitely more robust than any of Smith's explorers. Plus, a lot of them were starving um, down in, you know, North Carolina mm-hmm. and stuff. So. Mm-hmm. But anyway, his fascination with the Susquehannock is actually reflected by the prominent figure that he had drawn on the map of his Chesapeake Bay. It's a drawing of a Susquehannock Indian. And so the one image they actually have over and over on websites of a Susquehannock is the one that John Smith had drawn on his map. Huh. Yeah, He was kind of obsessed with them. So anyway, they held a very high esteem and presence in, the, in early American history, especially for John Smith. So do you want to talk about their towns then?
1: Well, let's do it. So they lived in large fortified towns, uh, which uh, the largest of which may have had a population of about 3,000 people. And uh, some of the numbers suggest that the numbers went up to about 5,000. So their communities were located along the Susquehanna, especially in Cumberland, Dauphin, Lancaster, and York counties, they established their towns along the Susquehanna because of the fertile soil and waters that facilitated travel and trade, and uh, also the fish and waterfowl supply. Mm-hmm. And, of course, like all settlements begin around rivers yep. for
0: fresh Obvious water, reasons, yeah, yeah.
1: trade, all that. So towns were composed of longhouses, and they were about 60 to 80 feet long, housed several nuclear families in one house. Related through the female line.
0: Which is why a lot of ladies, once they went to Native American culture, never came back because they liked how ladies were treated versus yeah, right. colonial culture.
1: <laughs> so the stockaded communities were surrounded by large fields of corn, beans, and squash. Native Americans called these plants the Three Sisters because they grew so well together. Oh, yeah, I remember reading about that.
0: I like how you're saying, oh, yeah, because you're reading my script.
1: No, like in <laughs> school.
0: Yes, <laughs> I just like picking on you. Anyway.
1: Yes. So, uh they called these Do you remember
0: why they grew so well together? Corns, beans, and squash?
1: Because like the bean this the corns were um like the lattice work for the beans to crawl up and the squash stayed underneath to kill the you know, didn't, the weeds. didn't kill yeah, didn't let the weeds grow. So yes. Yeah. yeah, so they all worked together. And
0: they also planted the seeds with fish because then they would have extra nutrients. Yeah.
1: We call this symbiosis. Nom, 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 Working nom. together, living together.
0: Aw. Do we live like the three sisters, PJ? Do I twine around you and cough your circulation?
1: <laughs> Last night you did. <laughs> That's <laughs> like, <get> cold!
0: <laughs> <laughs> I was freezing. <laughs> I wanted to snuggle. Anyway.
1: <laughs> so, on a side note, the Susquehannock used the cut and burn method of farming. Uh, they would chop down a large section of the forest, burn them all down, and plant on the now very circles. Fertile soil. After a few years, the soil will be awful, mostly from the corn, <laughs>
0: yep. and
1: they would move on to another area.
0: I think they didn't think, like, let's catch some fish and just grind it up and put it in the ground. No, let's just go on to a new place. Mm-hmm. You know, because I
1: mean, that's what we do in the Amazon right now.
0: Well, it's true, but like we've learned for farming here, like, you know, we do a like, corn three years in a row, then we let it lie. For a year. Well, it's,
1: it's the three year rotation. So we do yeah. one field with corn, then the next field with corn, then the third field with corn. Yeah, corn and then we go back it. to the first field because now the first field finally has resources in it again. You think
0: yeah. they would just do that? But no, let's just keep burning. So they yeah. were burning right.
1: nature. Agriculture was still young at the time. Oh, I know.
0: I know. All right. Anyway, so fun fact, the Schultz site, not the name Schultz, it's everywhere. My mom lived on mm-hmm. Schultz Road. Yep. But that was the earliest known Susquehannock town in the lower Susquehanna River Valley. Obviously, that name was a German name because we have to name everything. Yeah. Yeah. It was located just south of the Washington borough, and it appears to have been occupied between the years of 1575 to 1600. Now, that one had about 1300 people. Now, archaeological evidence from that trash and burn pit area shows that the Susquehannock had a very diverse diet. This is why I think they were big and robust. We know they had corn, beans, and squash based on the Three Sisters, and they had lots of corn based meals because that made up like half their diet. Mm-hmm. But they also ate deer and mm-hmm. bear and elk and fish they also had wild plants fruits and nuts to supplement their diets so it's no surprise they looked humongous to Smith men they had a healthy rich diet their entire lives yeah and they didn't really need to you know travel south in the winter they could pull up in their nice little longhouses and well big long houses and stay warm yeah. because one longhouse could heat up to 80 feet right so they were smart about it they would pack up their food keep it nice and mm-hmm. safe and live all winter but the nice thing about them, too, is they have some really specific features from their tribe that um, were taught in general terms in elementary school. So I'll leave the dugouts for you, but I want to talk about the pot that they made. So in terms of specific features, they created a distinctive vessel known as the face pot. It was a pot that had a really high decorative like top collar, and then the collar was human faces. <laughs> I don't know if i want to no. eat out of that because you have people looking at you when you're eating. But what you got there <laughs> mm, this looks delicious but anyway if you're
1: uh, the kind of person who like <laughs> sips out of the bowl at the end
0: <laughs> It face like covering up today uh, but anyway it was a common food vessel for mealtime they would also store like small personal items in there like you know needles fish hooks spoons and then other items like antlers bone and wood so there was like our like our cardboard boxes i guess yeah with human faces but anyway uh, goods like glass beads, iron axes, metal harpoons, and flintlock muskets were obtained through the fur trade with the Europeans, and so as that trade expanded, um, they started replacing all their native-made items with the European equivalents. So, like, they started using brass kettles, so the mm-hmm. face pot started to like die out because the brass kettle lasted longer. Yeah, but we still find them like in uh, these, you know, these pits and whatnot. But the cool thing about the Susquehannock is they're very much like, I would would term like a 21st century type of Native American. They liked having new items. They adopted the culture around them. You know, they like learning about the Dutch farmers and the Mennonites and the Quakers. And they actually even adopted the Christian religion. So many Mm. of them started turning to um, Quaker beliefs or Mennonite beliefs before the 1700s, well before the 1700s. So they're very much like a forward thinking group, which I thought was kind of cool. But anyway, you want to talk about the traveling down the river.
1: Uh, yeah, so uh, in terms of movement, uh, traveling up and down the river, they used an extensive system of walking paths and dugout canoes. Uh, made from hollowed out logs, dugouts were more suited to the swift and rocky Susquehanna River compared to the more fragile birch bark canoes that were more commonly used by many other northern Native Americans. Uh, though too heavy and slow for long distance travel, dugouts were ideal for fishing and carrying cargo and people across the river. Most dugouts were less than 20 feet long, and some were reported to be 50 feet or larger. Isn't that
0: cool, 50 feet long? crazy. What's it called? Is that a rowing group? Row, row. Oh, yeah. Maybe they invented it.
1: Yeah, the the rowing teams that you see for colleges and stuff like that. (laughs) So there's evidence to suggest that they may have been sunk with rocks when not being used to keep them from drying out and cracking, and perhaps to hide them from potential thieves.
0: I think that's kind of cool. Yeah. Like, hide these so no one else can find them.
1: And then, you know, strong rains come and wash them away. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we'll just dig out another He's one. got to <laughs>
1: cut out some more now.
0: But, like, they're always mentioned. And you see them in these movies with Native Americans who never would have used them because they're a different yeah. tribe, very different area. Yeah. So, again, like, most of our images we have Native Americans come from, I feel like, the Susquehannock area. Yeah,
1: And that's something that we don't picture a whole lot of these days is, like, back then... A tree was so big, you couldn't wrap your arms around it. So you could, you know, fell a tree, hollow it out, and turn it into a boat. Because you could sit inside of a hollow tree They yeah. were that big.
0: That's crazy. And, like, how long it would take to cut down that tree, though. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Based on us trying to cut down one tree last weekend. And with
1: a 10-inch chainsaw.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't even that bad of a yeah, tree. Yeah, d-
1: don't use an 18-volt <laughs> chainsaw to try to cut a tree that was less than a foot in diameter. We ran
0: out of a battery. <laughs> Hey, we got it down, though. We did. We got it. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so um, nothing great stays, though, of course. You have this great group. But by the 1670s, their population had gone from that original 5,000. Uh, it had sharply declined because of disease and war. Mm-hmm. We already know that smallpox epidemics were a big problem. Oh, yeah. Because it wiped out whole communities. And um, the frontiersmen had learned that if they gave smallpox-infested blankets to Native Americans, they'd die. They didn't understand how it worked, but that was kind of cool. They yeah. would not get that land. Yeah. But anyway, there are also lots of wars between tribes. Um, Obviously, the Susquehannock were not well-loved by the Lenape because they controlled the fur trade. So the Shawnee and the Lenape tended to attack them. So they had that going on, along with the colonial skirmishes, you know, people kind of coming in, massacres here and there, whatnot. Mm -hmm. So they did move down to Maryland very briefly for safety, but they were forced out and they moved back to PA. So by the 1680s, a group of Susquehannock and Seneca decided to establish a settlement on the Conestoga River which is not the Susquehanna River in case you're wondering. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's in present day Lancaster County, PA. So if you know anything about like the Amish. Hershey. If you see pictures <laughs> of Amish, it's probably from Lancaster. Yeah. yeah Hershey's
1: um, down in Lancaster too, that area. Yeah,
0: Mannheim is in that area too. Um, so that it became known as Conestoga. Um, so the population there continued to decline though. So by the next hundred year, 1763, um, we're down to like 20 people. And. So you're wondering, why is a scary podcast disgusting Indians or Native Americans or Conestoga or whatever you want to call this group of people? It is because they are horribly massacred, the last 20 of them, by a group called the Paxton Boys. So while there are a significant number of indigenous people alive today of mixed Susquehannock ancestry, the Susquehannock as a distinctive cultural identity is completely extinct. Um, mm-hmm. They are not recognized anymore because every single Susquehannock of pure blood w- was dead at that point. Um, so people who had mixed histories we will talk about, like, you know, why we might have, like, a half Susquehannock, half white settler. Mm-hmm. Um, there are ancestors of San- Susquehannock. There is no true Susquehannock at this point, wow. according to paperwork. But if you read their website, the Susquehannock say, like, we, we're, we're here. <laughs> we're yeah. here. You know, but on that day, they were marked as extinct. So let's look at Conestoga Town then. And yes, this is where the Conestoga Wagon is created, that area. Mm-hmm. Okay. No, they did not make the Conestoga Wagon. They were long dead when that came into <laughs> being, just saying. Um, but it's that same area. So again, our tribe was annihilated about 100 years. Uh, no, maybe about 80 years before the Conestoga Wagon is invented. Okay. So they were, because it, it was made by Mennonite and, you know, Amish people. But anyway, so in the late 1680s, a group of Susquehannock and Seneca established this village. Um, It's what we would now call Manor Township, right, by Lancaster. Mm -hmm. Uh, We started just calling them Conestoga as a group. They were later joined by a number of Oneida and Cayuga families who just didn't want to be a part of all the tribal issues that were happening. And then in 1700, William Penn, who was the founder of Pennsylvania, of course, he visited them. And he obtained from them a deed for their lands in the Susquehanna River Watershed. And in return, he gave them manor township. And that was like their area. No one could take it. It was their land. And that was a treaty that was confirmed in 1701. That was the one quote that I had read on Fools and Rejects. Like, you know, as Mm. long as the sun shall sign, that kind of stuff, we'll have peace.
1: But were they given a manor?
0: No. Dang it. Alas. Well, they started to build cabins with plank wood like we did, because again, they adopted twenty first. Mm-hmm, yeah, I keep calling twenty first century people, but you know they they adopted like the modern ideas of the day. But anyway, for the next few decades, uh, Conestoga Town, as it became known, became a really big important trading feature. So everyone visited there, not just Native Americans. They went there for negotiations, and that was between Pennsylvanians and the N- indigenous people. So like it was a big area. Now its importance though it wanes as the fur trade tends to move a little more west because we were over trapping, as I mentioned. Mm-hmm. So the population then in that 80 years declines due to out migration. People are just leaving. Um of course, they are becoming in- impoverished because they have no more hunting lands because the frontiers were yeah. taken over. Uh, they became increasingly impoverished and dependent on the PA government where they're getting, you know, clothing and food. They start tending small gardens. And even by the 1740s, so 20 years before the massacre happens that I want to talk about, Seneca became the dominant language. Only a few people actually spoke Conestoga. Yeah,
1: like even at this point, it seems they've become a shadow of their mm-hmm. former selves.
0: Yep. And they called it the ancient tongue. So, yeah. Hmm. So in that 60 years, they adopted all the customs of their Mennonite and Quaker neighbors. They abandoned native clothing completely because, you know, wearing heavier clothing kept you warmer in the wintertime. Who would have thought? Mm -hmm. They started building cabins out of wood planks, not what they used to do with the log cabins. They hunted with imported guns. They cooked from their iron and brass pots. Um, Of course, they are tending vegetable garden, they're fishing, and then they start making woven brooms and baskets that they start selling to neighbors at markets. So they find a way to kind of adapt themselves into the culture. Um, So apart from their physical resemblance that looks Native American, you wouldn't know. You'd be very hard-pressed to see anything Native American about them because Mm -hmm. they were really amalgamating um, to the the colonial culture. And that's really important. They've been adopted into this culture. You have to understand that because they remained neutral during the Seven Years' War and during Pontiac's War.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Okay, so they are good people. They're bartering brooms and baskets and fish, (laughs) all right? They're tending their gardens. They're living in their town. They just want to be us. Yeah. Um, They're living by their Quaker ideals because now they're becoming Christian. Mm. They're pacifists. By 1763, only seven men, five women, and eight children actually even lived in Conestoga town. That's it. Okay, so you have to have that background. For all intents and purposes, they are colonials. They just look different. Yeah. But then, <laughs> but then, the Paxton boys destroy everything, and this is where the sad part begins. Now, what do you remember from our full send rejects episode? Oh,
1: it's bad. It's <laughs> terrible.
0: It's bad. It's bad. It's very, very bad. <laughs> what happens? You can give me, give me a little, a little.
1: Um. So. Like, how much do you want me to go, you know, because...
0: It's okay. I have all scripts, so whatever. Yeah, I know
1: that 50 to 100 people ride out and, you know, they, they round up, like, the final 20-some-odd uh, Native Americans and not only kill them, but mutilate them.
0: Yes. So you're putting two different stories together, but yes, so... Oh, yeah,
1: because they get away. Yes. Yeah, some of them get away.
0: In December 1763, the Paxton Boys, in response to raids by the Lenape and the Shawnee, decided they are going to attack Conestoga Town in the mistaken belief that the inhabitants were aiding and abetting the attacks. Now, the Lenape and Shawnee did not live in Conestoga Town, as I mentioned. Mm -hmm. Not once did I say their names. (laughs) Actually, the Lenape, as I said, was one of the tribes that um, was in near-constant battle with the Susquehannock Mm -hmm. because, again, they were jealous over fur trading. So technically, this makes the Conestoga allies to the Frontiersmen who are now going to come (laughs) annihilate them. Uh. Um, yeah. So the Paxton boys slaughter the six Conestoga that they find in Conestoga town, and they burn it to the ground. Now, you mentioned 14 of the Conestoga had been absent. They didn't run away. They were actually out. They were out doing shop. things. Yeah, they yeah. were out selling things. And so they were given shelter in Lancaster. Two weeks later, though, Paxton boys come again and kill them. So that is going to be something we're going to dive into pretty pretty heavy. But mm-hmm. I just want to kind of get that out there for our listeners, because it's going to get pretty gruesome. So before the attack, there were officially 22 Conestoga. The Paxton boys killed 20 total. That means there's two left. So one thing I did not mention on the Full Sand Rejects podcast is there is actually two Conestoga that were not accounted for. And no matter how hard they tried, the Paxton boys could not find them to kill them. Their names were Michael and Mary. And they um, were the only two Susquehannock that we know survived the massacres because they were living on a farm. The farmer was named Christian Hershey. Hmm. No, Hershey, of course. You know that last name, right? Yep. And they lived near Lidditz, Pennsylvania. So they were out there working, that kind of thing. They were like, I don't want to say indentured servants. They were just living on the farm and helping out. Yeah. And- um, Tired
1: hands. Yeah.
0: When the Paxton boys heard that there were two on that farm working, they actually were hidden in the basement of that farm until the Paxton boys left. Wow. So they had tried killing these two people too. Um, but their burial on that farm marked the end then, officially, of Susquehannock. Mm-hmm. So that's why they believe that there might be Susquehannock out there. Maybe Michael and Mary had some. We don't mm-hmm. know. Again, they didn't really keep good records, especially Native Americans back then. Yeah. It actually took 15 years for this entire story to be, to be like- proliferated around Pennsylvania mm. and yeah so before we discuss the mass disgusting horrible wretched event that happened I want to discuss the underlying cause of why men would feel the need to hop on horses and go obliterate mm-hmm. uh, 20 very nice people it can all be traced back to over a decade of increasingly violent clashes of American uh, settlers or I should say English settlers and Native Americans. So, they were both fighting, of course, for land, as we mentioned. Mm-hmm. You know, when you don't have a land, you can't hunt. When William Penn had signed the land agreements with the various Native American tribes, there had been disputes resulting about whose land was whose, as we've mentioned before on this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, many Native Americans, no surprise, felt their agreements were not being upheld, which we've proved they were not.
1: Uh-huh. <laughs> yep.
0: Um, but yeah, they seemingly. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. The unending influx of white settlers meant a constant expansion of them and their borders westward, which means that Native American raids on white settlements became common. Now, of course, there was pressure to raise a state-funded militia for protection, but it couldn't be avoided. By 1756, all-out war was declared on Native Americans. And now that warfare continues for many years, and of course, it reaches its apex during the Pontiac's Rebellion, and that was the first half of 1763. So again... These poor people died in December of 1763. And as I mentioned, they were neutral during the Pontiac War. So again, they weren't a part of it at all. Now, the Ottawa Native Americans, they did launch a devastating campaign against British forts and settlements in all the backcountry areas, kind of like where we are and even more westerly. Um, So from June to July, six British forts were captured by the Ottawa's who were eventually halted just outside of Fort Pitt. Now, Edward Shippen, who is the founder of Shippensburg, of course, mm-hmm. wrote to his son, quote, Savages will soon make inroads through the whole province, burning and destroying everything as they go. So, again, some Native Americans were very, very bad. <laughs> <laughs> Under these conditions, the Paxton boys were formed. So, they were angry. They were also desperate, and they have witnessed the death of family members, right? So, like, we have like that. I understand their anger. But the killings that they did were a result of fear and desperation, and it was taken to extremes. Mm-hmm. You can do your research before you go kill an entire group of people. <laughs> what? Yes, I know, I know. So again, no discussion of Susquehannock. They were not a part of the Pontiac's Rebellion. They were neutral. They were good Quakers. they were pacifists. Now they lived only on land that William Penn had ceded to them in the 1690s, as I mentioned. By 1701, mm-hmm. that the treaty is signed. And they were living peacefully with their neighbors for decades. Now, it's interesting. Uh, he has a Native American name, but we called him Will Sock, the, Na- the English settlers did. So Will Sock, a prominent member of the Susquehannock, became a target of the Paxton boys due to the unsubstantiated claims that he was providing aid and intelligence to the Lenape and Shawnee. Will Sock would not give any aid to them because they were sworn enemies. But again, uh, I heard that he was being bad. Mm-hmm. But anyway, Matthew Smith, along with five companions, decided to visit Conestoga town and investigate. So the Paxton boys kind of go in and do some sniffing around. <laughs> Upon their return, Smith claimed that he had seen, quote, dozens of strange armed Indians in a little village. Which, yeah, because he tried to get the guns. Oh, my god. But all them Indians got them <laughs> guns. Now, um, a reverend named Elder actually sent a written message to dissuade any violence, but that didn't work, obviously. Mm -hmm. So here is what actually happens. At daybreak on December 14th, 1763, more than 50 Paxton boys attacked Conestoga, Indian town. They dismounted their horses and fired their flintlocks at the Native American huts. They rushed inside and tomahawked the survivors. They scalped everyone. The Paxton boys proceeded to loot the village and then set all the buildings ablaze. The entire raid likely only took a few minutes. Emboldened by their successful attack, they headed home to Paxton. Now, what's really sad is from um, firsthand accounts. Now, again, it's actually technically secondhand because they all died. But there's a Native American woman who told her child to hide behind a big barrel mm-hmm. and to not make a single noise. A bullet went through and hit him, and he still stayed quiet. But then he was later killed because he was found. Wow. Yeah. So that's how bad it was. Like, this poor child is killed. So Will Sock, but the, the bad guy who was given all them trade secrets, was one of the 14 Susquehannock who had been away from Conestoga um, when the attack occurred. Like I said, they were out um, working and trading and selling their brooms and whatnot. And so they were given refuge in the Lancaster workhouse slash jail. It was all the same thing back then. Um, but they were told to take refuge there and hide. Now, the Paxton boys, believing that Will Sock was a murderer as well as a spy... And they, and of course, they were angry that all these Susquehannock had escaped. They decide to ride in Lancaster two weeks later and take care of the rest of them. So now we're talking, it's right after Christmas. It is the morning. Well, it depends. Morning slash afternoon, because one of accounts says it was two o'clock in the afternoon. Okay. Another one says the morning. So Still
1: daylight. Da- yeah. It's on not... the
0: daylight of yeah. December 27th. It is now between 50 and 100 Rangers, so we have doubled almost our numbers. They once again head south. They reach Lancaster's snow covered Queen Street at 2 p.m., or by 2 p.m. They dismount at the sign of the White Swan. They gathered their weapons and they walked down King Street. When the Paxton boys reached the workhouse, they encountered Sheriff Hay and Coroner Slough. However, as the Rangers approached, the two men stepped aside without any protest. There is a possibility, and it's unsubstantiated, but there's mm. been much discussion that either those men were afraid of a huge mob, which is likely, <laughs> <laughs> or they were complicit with the crime. Because mm. how else did the Pakistan boys hear they're hiding in this jailhouse? You know what I'm saying? Mm. It's fishy. Yeah. Yeah. So they're, most people think they were complicit, and they're like, oh, you're here now. Well, here you go. Go and get them. Right? Yeah. Now, Reverend Elder, the one who had sent the letter saying, don't be violent, he did appear before the angry mob, and he tried to restrain them, but he's one guy against possibly 100, so he had no effect. So on that date, under the leadership of Smith and Stewart, the Paxton boys broke into the workhouse and killed, scalped, and dismembered all 14 of the surviving Susquehannock, including the women and children. Just 12 minutes later, the bloodied killers emerged from the workhouse— they mounted their horses and boldly rode around the courthouse, shouting and discharging their firearms. They then returned their horses north on Queen Street and headed home. Now, they chose to get there at that time because they knew that there was going to be a church service, a special one for Christmas. So they wanted to make sure that no one would be available. They could just ride up there unheeded, you know, unheeded and mm-hmm. take care of business. So there are no first-person accounts complicating this too is that it was another 15 years before any historians even documented the event so we don't know much about what actually happened which is why we're not sure if the sheriff and the coroner were actually complicit yeah we have suppositions but this much is true the massacre of the conestogas is a dark chapter in lancaster's history so william henry who is a resident of lancaster actually described the aftermath he said i saw a number of people running down the street towards the jail which enticed me and other lads to follow them At about 60 or 80 yards from the jail, we met from 25 to 30 men, well-mounted on horses and with rifles, tomahawks, and scalping knives, equipped for murder. I ran into the prison yard, and there, oh, what a horrid sight presented itself to my view. Near the back door of the prison lay an old Indian and his woman, particularly well-known and esteemed by the people of the town, on account of his placid and friendly conduct. His name was Will Sock. Across him and his native woman lay two children of about the same the ages of three years, whose heads were split with the tomahawk and their scalps all taken off. Towards the middle of the jail yard along the west side of the wall lay a stout Indian, whom I particularly noticed to have been shot in the breast, his legs were chopped with the tomahawk, his hands cut off, and finally a rifle ball discharged in his mouth, so that his head was blown to atoms and the brains were splashed against and yet hanging to the wall, for three or four feet around. This man's hands and feet had also been chopped off with a tomahawk. In this manner lay the whole of them, men, women, and children, spread about the prison yard, shot, scalped, hacked, and cut to pieces. Yikes. Yeah. I mean, they walked out covered in everything, hopped on their horses, and off they went, like, shooting. And it yeah. just, it seems to me like a vision you'd get out of, like, Deadwood. You know, like, it's just.
1: Yeah. It's hard to imagine, like, that's a real thing that would have happened.
0: Yeah. in peace-loving Pennsylvania. <laughs> So peace-loving. <laughs> so after that second attack, Governor John Penn, okay, so obviously part of the William Penn family, we, as we know, mm-hmm. he did offer a substantial reward for capturing these guys, or at least the ringleaders, but no one was ever identified. The idea is that... Um, People were behind them and back them Mm -hmm. because many of the residents of Lancaster County actually expressed sympathy towards the Paxton boys and their efforts. Of course. Yeah. Well, they just did what needs to be done. So, yeah, no prosecutions occurred.
1: Yeah, a group that large doesn't just form naturally.
0: Oh, it's going to get bigger. Oh, great. Podcasts that's going to get worse. <laughs> 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 I didn't mention this on the Full Send Rejects because, again, I'm doing a deeper dive. Yeah. And what we're talking about with them doesn't – It the, doesn't really
1: apply to – Well,
0: because they're going to keep going southerly towards Philadelphia, mm-hmm. whereas we need to get up northern – or more northern, I should say, for their, their podcast. But anyway, um, there was a strong feeling that many of the local officials, like the sheriff and the coroner and the magistrates, were not fully cooperating with the government, right? And uh, they mm-hmm. didn't want to bring the people of the massacre to justice. Uh, The Susquehannock murders were meant to, quote, convey a message, not just to scare the Philadelphian people, but the Native Americans. Obviously, the violence that was happening scared people. And, of course, it escalated violence in the future. So it definitely had a, a lasting impact, I guess. Now, in Philadelphia, they were angry at what had happened. So that's where Ben Franklin is hanging out. He's alive, right? This is the 1760s, yeah, yeah. so he Ten, has his own opinions you know, like
1: 14 years before you're, yeah. So it's not exactly 1960, but you know, it's just shortly before the signing of the declaration. Yep,
0: so he is very, very upset. Now, of course, the Philadelphians all are angry because they knew the Susquehannock were very innocent, they're wonderful, decent human beings. And so when it came to this, Benjamin Franklin, in his narrative of the late massacres, actually um, noted that the Susquehannock would have been safe, quote, among any other people on Earth, no matter how primitive, except the Christian white savages of Pextang and Donegal. So what a slap in the face, you know, really to us. um, Well, not to us, but to that area. He's like, anybody else would have been great for them, but you guys are more savage than the Native Americans. And, of course, there an elder who, again, who could not stop the group. um, He wrote to Governor Penn, January 26, 1764. So a month later, he said, the storm, which had been so long gathering has at length exploded. Had government removed the Indians, which had been frequently but without effect urged, this painful catastrophe might have been avoided. What could I do with men heated to madness? All that I could do was done. I expostulated, but life and reason were set at defiance. Yet the men in private life are virtuous and respectable, not cruel, but mild and merciful. The time will arrive when each palliating circumstance will be weighed. This deed magnified into the blackest of crimes shall be considered as one of those ablations of wrath caused by momentary excitement to which human infirmity is subjected. And then he later says, If an Indian injures me, does it not? Does it follow that I may revenge that injury on all Indians? It is well known that the Indians are of different tribes, nations, and languages, as well as the white people. In Europe, if the French, who are white people, should injure the Dutch, are they to revenge it on the English because they, too, are white people? The only crime of these poor wretches seems to have been that they had a reddish-brown skin and black hair. So I just think it's even back then, he recognized, you know, he's like, it's not fair. We're going to kill some innocent people just because we're mad about the Ottawa? That's just ridiculous. So, to put in context, in 1600 there were five thousand Conestoga. By 1700, there were three hundred left due to disease and intertribal wars and colonial skirmishes. And then there's zero after 1763. Yeah. Okay.
1: I also hate when people say, like, in that quote, like, "Well, in private life, they're fine boys." And it's like, well, no. And well, he's saying
0: what he's saying is like, if you can say that, up mentality
1: people. takes over people yeah. is what he's saying. Yeah, but yeah. like. When you see someone chopping off someone else's hand, you, that's when you know like I'm out, yeah. you know, but they stayed.
0: And he's like, you can say they're nice people in private, but they did this in public." Yeah. <laughs> so I mean like even it sounds like, you know, at some point they're going to be um, you know, with, how how you he word it? Like, uh, their crimes are going to be, you know, considered someday, i.e., like, yeah, you know, at least in, they'll in, in the they'll be judged at some point. Yeah. 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 He's like, so. But after the, that massacre, like, after they destroyed, I mean, decimated, you know, demolished those poor innocent human beings, they went straight to Philadelphia. And so as they are marching pretty much to Philadelphia from, from Lancaster, they gain momentum, both in size and in public attention. The number of people now builds to 250 strong. So there are a lot of people who are behind them. Yes. And their infamy is growing as they travel closer and closer to Philly. Um, you hear – they heard that 140 Native Americans in the region surrounding Paxton fled to Philadelphia for a sanctuary. So we're not sure if that's actually true, but the Paxton boys are heading to Philadelphia to kill them Indians. Mm-hmm. How dare you go hide there, right? So when they get to Germantown, which was then a, a town independent of Philadelphia, but I think now it's been absorbed into Philadelphia proper, it was a landmark event. It was the first physical standoff between the citizens of what was becoming an increasingly divided state. So you had frontiersmen and women there against Eastern Pennsylvania. And they both have very different mentalities about Mm -hmm. Native Americans and how to deal with the uh, Indian conflicts, as they put it. So they were finally kind of like toned down. They were calmed down, I should say, during the standoff because they were reminded that the ideology of Pennsylvania was founded upon Quaker values – and, you know, you should stay calm. It should be, a, as William Penn said, a, quote, peaceable kingdom. And we're not doing that. When they get to Philadelphia, their message is peace is no longer an option, buddy. It's not okay. <laughs> um, so they're, they're in this more prevalent view that America was a promised land for Christians, not for Native Americans. And it should be cleansed of the wickedness of the savages. And so. Wow. Yeah. That, like, that's what they believed. And so they wanted to get rid of all the Native Americans so they could have their promised land. Yeah.
1: Christian zealots.
0: I, I know, right?
1: Like, any zealot is bad. But,
0: whew, yeah, this is so it,
1: embarrassing. Yeah.
0: So Ben Franklin actually weighs in on all this because, again, he was one of our greats and he mm-hmm. was Philadelphia, you know. So he said, It grieves me to hear that our frontier people are yet greater barbarians than the Indians and continue to murder them in time of peace. Um, so again, he was trying to follow William Penn's belief about being, you know, peaceful, yeah. being fair, whatnot. So what happens then is they they are calmed down. They are allowed to go home because mm-hmm. basically what happens is they um, you you realize that while this is disgusting, they had a lot of people who are politically behind them. Which mm-hmm. is always a thing, oh yeah. And so the seats of representation started sw- changing for frontiersmen over these Quakers who mm-hmm. were really in charge of Pennsylvania for the first 100 hundred-ish years. So you have that like that um, perspective change. And that's when you see Pennsylvania really fully change to a more I don't want to say moderate or like you know modern, but like an, a, a more frontiersman oriented yeah. <laughs> uh, Congress. So anyway. Uh that being said, there is no memory left about the Conestoga because again, they were killed. We have no written records, mm-hmm. we have no living descendants, technically speaking. Uh their history is like their culture is very blurry. We get most of our um archaeological data and kind of guess at what their lives were like.
1: Yeah.
0: And from secondhand accounts. There is a plaque that has, you know, been raised and put um in the Conestoga area for them. Uh, but apart from that, there's really no other Conestoga. Hmm. Nothing that we know about. So I mentioned earlier that Ben Franklin um, had a lot of comments on this time period. And there was a narrative that was written because this time period, a lot of publications. We know that Ben Franklin was quite the prolific writer and may have caused the Jersey yeah. Devil <laughs> to come into existence. Uh, it was called A Narrative of Late Massacres. And so just a couple of quotes that I pulled out of it that I just – I find it interesting and you get an idea of what it looked like because people are recollecting what they saw, you know, and telling their story. Mm -hmm. So on Wednesday, the the 14th of December, 1763, 57 men from some of our frontier townships who had projected the destruction of this little commonwealth came, all well-mounted and armed with firelocks, hangers, and hatchets, having traveled through the country in the night to Conestoga Manor. There they surrounded the small village of Indian huts and, just at daybreak, broke into them all at once. Only three men, two women, and a young boy were found at home, the rest being out amongst the neighboring white people, some to sell the baskets, brooms, and bowls they manufactured, and others on other occasions. These poor defenseless creatures were immediately fired upon, stabbed, and hatcheted to death. The good Shaheys among the rest cut the pieces in his bed. All of them were scalped and otherwise horribly mangled, then their huts were set on fire, and most of them burnt down. When the troop pleaded their own conduct and bravery, but enraged that any of the poor Indians had escaped the massacre, rode off, and in small parties, by different roads, went home. The universal concern of the neighboring white people on hearing of this event and the lamentations of the younger Indians when they returned and saw the desolation and the butchered half-burnt bodies of their murdered parents and other relations cannot well be expressed." notwithstanding this proclamation those cruel men again assembled themselves and hearing that the remaining fourteen indians were in the workhouse at lancaster they suddenly appeared in that town on the twenty-seventh of december fifty of them armed as before dismounting went directly to the workhouse and by violence broke open the door and entered with the utmost fury and their countenances when the poor wretches saw they had no protection nigh, nor could possibly escape, and being without the least weapon for defense, they divided into their little families, the children clinging to their parents, they fell on their knees, protesting their innocence, declaring their love to the English, and that in their whole lives they had never done them injury. And in this posture, they all received the hatchet. Men, women, and little children were every one inhumanely murdered in cold blood." The barbarous men, who committed the atrocious fact in defiance of government, of all laws, human and divine, and to the eternal disgrace of their country and color, then mounted their horses, huzzaed in triumph, as if they had gained a victory and rode off unmolested. The bodies of the murdered were brought out and exposed in the street, till a hole could be made for them in the earth, to receive and cover them. But the wickedness cannot be covered, the guilt will lie on the whole land, till justice is done on the murderers. The blood of the innocent will cry to heaven for gen- vengeance." And so, like, if you can imagine, like, you have these, like, innocent women and children and men on their knees begging, saying, we've done nothing. Look, I'm speaking your language. Like, yeah. we are totally, yeah. like, we, we've adopted your stuff. We remember you. And then they're still being killed. Like, mm-hmm. as they're pleading for innocence. Like, oh, my, like, it's crazy. Yep. Disgusting. So this is a spooky podcast, PJ. Obviously, we had a horrifying massacre. Mm-hmm. Especially in that Lancaster Street, in its own
1: right, what people can do to each other.
0: Can you imagine, like being the people who had to bring those bodies out of the workhouse to oh my bury gosh. them? I found another hand. Oh, here's a foot. Like, ugh. Anyway, obviously the, that entire area is haunted. So, do you want to hear about the hauntings? Sure do. All right. The jailhouse and the area around it. It's been converted to the Duke Street Garage and also the Fulton Theater. Oh. Yes. My. Well, you know why not. <laughs> Uh, they're both said to be haunted. Some reports say that you can still hear the piercing screams of the Conestoga echoing throughout the building. Wouldn't that just be a... That's happy... great. That's just...
1: Just working on your car, you know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's a parking garage. But oh, a parking garage. I think, yeah, I, yeah. But anyway, that isn't the only tragic tale to occur. That's here. even
1: worse. You're walking through, it's like middle of night, you know, to find your car and you, you know, unlock the door and you just hear, ah!
0: <laughs> Who's that? It's
1: terrifying. Oh boy. Between
0: 1834 <laughs> and 1851, three men were hanged inside its walls while operating as the county jail because public executions were made illegal. Not to mention, the Fulton also was briefly used as a place to house wounded soldiers after the Battle of Gettysburg. So, yeah, a lot of, like, you know, dark history there. So you have men who were hanged there. You have wounded soldiers dying there because we know we were already at Gettysburg chopping of limbs and whatnot. And, of course, you have in the past this horrible massacre. What happens in the Duke Street Garage? Well, people see shadowy figures darting around the various floors along with hearing these piercing screams. Shadow figures are bad. Yes. Don't go close to that. No. Now, in the Fulton Theater, there has also been sightings of a woman in white, and she's dressed in turn-of-the-century clothing. They think she may actually be a stage crew member, but she's haunting that area. Hmm. Yes. There's also phantom screaming and applause. So I hope that it's good phantom screaming, but as you mentioned, it's probably screams of terror and pain. But there's also applause, and there's whistling from a man called the Whistler in the Fulton Hmm. Theater. Yes. But what is interesting about the Fulton Opera House is that the hauntings were reported even before the theater was built. So just saying some of the original reports of hauntings go back to the late 1700s, less than 100 years after people were killed there. They're already seeing certain figures. They're hearing screams and whatnot. Yeah. So it has always been there. Will always be. That's a very dark area. Yeah. What are your thoughts?
1: I mean, that kind of bad energy is definitely going to generate something oh man like because the first time i heard about like the the applause when i read that as i skimmed the document i was like is that the paxton boys like
0: (laughs) proud of themselves oh my gosh you're right oh that's that's terrible yeah but it's yeah it could be you may hear some guns going yeah we got them woohoo what would you be like? Say congratulations! Fifty guys took out like fourteen yeah. innocent. Do, do you feel
1: good now? Do you feel Ugh. like a big man?
0: Ugh. The overkill too in those discussions, yeah. makes me out. So, but um, they did have their bodies buried there, but again, they had to move the bodies at one point because they're putting in new stuff, and so their bodies were taken elsewhere. I couldn't find records of where they actually reburied them, which yeah. also could cause you know some more hauntings because of the desecration of that. Yeah, so I and if think...
1: they're dismembered, like if they missed anything, mm-hmm. you know they're yeah. they're still like there.
0: Well, anyway, if you want to know how this matches the full Thunder Rejects uh, mini episodes, you gotta hop onto Spotify this week and listen to their episode for more fascinating but also sad mm-hmm. Native American history. Um, we also talk about Hawk Mountain and some stories from Sharp Mountain as well. Which will connect into the missing persons. So who's taking them? Is it angry Native Americans? Is it Bigfoot? Is it the Jersey Devil? No. It's not the Jersey Devil. How dare you? <laughs> uh, it calls me be mining. It's name. definitely
1: that little feller.
0: No, the Apple Twitch. <laughs> they wouldn't give him his delicious apples. <laughs> but anyway, I hope you learned something. Please don't forget to get your name in the running. Please text me, email me, Facebook us, comment on the stinking picture. But we are going to draw a name on Thanksgiving and we'll announce it on Sunday, our next episode. We're going to have Jackie on. She wants to tell her personal stories of the Winchester Mansion
1: mm-hmm. because
0: she heard her episode. She's like, The Win, you guys, you didn't even ask me. And I'm oh, like, Really? I commented, Jackie. Listen to the whole episode. I said, Jackie, I want your thoughts. <laughs> she Jackie,
1: was, she never tells me when you text anymore.
0: No, well, because I'm talking to her one on one. Get out of here. This look at me. Look at me. I'm glad you liked the
1: episode. Did <laughs> yeah. she like the episode? She did. did you like the episode, Jackie? Oh my god. No, I'm talking to Jackie now. <laughs> you stay out of this.
0: Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, she wants to tell her story about that and her friend that went and they also have other stories too. So she's gonna cool. t- Yeah, so she's gonna tell us some awesome. stories. Oh yeah, then we got Anthony's stories from his haunting. Yeah. It's gonna be fun. So anyway, please listen to the full, send rejects. Let them know your thoughts about these missing persons. And again, they're currently missing. This isn't like 1763. This is like current day. Mm -hmm. But in any case, as always, have a lovely week and
1: think spooky thoughts. I did it. (laughs) I said the thing.
0: Jackie, if you're listening.
1: (laughs) Have a great week, Jackie.
0: That just sounded creepy.
1: Have a great week, Jackie.